If you'd like to spend some time with real people with a real heart for God, we welcome you to visit us at Harvest Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Our Sunday morning services are held at 1030, and our Family Night Fellowship takes place on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Come experience God's awesome, life-changing power as we worship in His presence, fellowship with one another, commit to discipleship, and share God's love through evangelism. For more information or directions, visit HarvestNova.com. That's HarvestNova.com. The title of my message today is Godly Ambition. Godly Ambition. I'll be sharing from Philippians chapter 1. Verses 12 through 26, Philippians chapter 1. Godly ambition. You know, ambition means different things to different people. To someone in poverty, ambition may be to uh, accumulate wealth. To a wealthy athlete, however, ambition may be a championship ring. To a medical researcher, it may be a cure for AIDS or for cancer. To someone in the corporate world, it may mean, you know, getting that corner office in the high-rise office building. For some of us, ambition means making it to the weekend. I get it. (laughs) But the dictionary defines ambition as a strong desire to achieve something the will to succeed, the object or the goal desired. In Philippians chapter 1, I'm going to be sharing, as I said, from verses 12 through 26, but my main theme comes from verse number 20. And I want to share that with you. He said, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. Paul here expresses his godly ambition, his life's ambition. And he uses a phrase, he said, I eagerly expect, and this was a phrase in the original Greek that was seemingly coined by Paul himself. It describes an earnest expectation or looking for as with the neck stretched out and the head thrust forward. I like to think of a a picture of uh, at a parade. Remember parades? We don't see too many parades anymore. I don't know if COVID killed parades or what, but think of a young boy on his father's shoulders at a parade and a float is coming down the street. Think of that boy just almost tipping over as he leans forward, you know, on his father's shoulders, just straining and uh, thrusting his neck forward. That's the kind of idea that Paul was expressing when he said, I eagerly expect and, and hope, he said. The word hope is the desire of some good with the expectation of obtaining it. It's, it's the belief that something good is coming. So he has this eager expectation, this hope. And what is he expecting? What is he hoping? He says that Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. Uh, the word exalted has been translated elsewhere as being magnified. The Greek word means to make great, conspicuous, to cause to get glory and praise. Thus the most important thing in Paul's life 
The driving force behind all that he did was not to be wealthy, was not to gain fame, although he was well known. It was not to be comfortable. It was not to uh, have prestige and win the applause of men. The most important thing, Paul's ambition in life, was to exalt Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ, whether through life or death, and I'm going to talk more about that in a few minutes, but that Jesus Christ would be glorified through him. That's quite an ambition, isn't it? I dare to say this morning, standing before you as your pastor, one of you who's imperfect uh, and um, don't, d doesn't always get it right, okay? But I say this to all of us, our ambition in life should be that of the Apostle Paul, that Christ would be exalted. Really, nothing else matters, does it? But that Jesus Christ is exalted in our lives. In this passage here in Philippians chapter 1, Paul describes three aspects of his ambition that I want to share uh, with you today. I want to answer the question, what does God's Word tell us about godly ambition? What does God's Word tell us about godly ambition? Three things. The first thing it communicates to us about godly ambition is that it isn't thwarted by circumstances. Godly ambition is not thwarted by circumstances. What were Paul's circumstances as he writes this uh, letter to the Philippian church? Well, he was under house arrest in Rome. Now, Paul was used to negative circumstances. In 2 Corinthians 11, verses 24 through 28, he tells us that five times he received 39 lashes, three times he was stoned, three times he was shipwrecked, he spent a night and a day in the water. He was in danger from robbers, uh, murder plots of the Jews and the Gentiles. He went, knew what it was to go hungry, to be thirsty. He suffered from exposure, and he had the continual worry about all of the churches. So you think you've had a hard life. And now he was imprisoned, as he writes this, he was imprisoned, not because he committed robbery or murder or assault or some other crime, but because he preached the gospel. He was imprisoned. So Paul knew a thing or two about circumstances, wouldn't you say? And he actually says the purpose of these circumstances was to advance the gospel. To advance the gospel. The word, the Greek word here translated advance uh, literally means to cut down in advance and it refers to military, the military practice of cutting down trees and undergrowth uh, as they advanced on their mission. We need to catch what Paul's saying here. He's saying these terrible circumstances in which I find myself uh, far from thwarting my ambition have actually served uh, to promote it. That is to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul tells us that this uh, uh, takes place in two different ways. He's, he's experienced this in two different ways. First of all, uh, the, the gospel advances, his ambition is fulfilled despite difficulties. What do you mean, Pastor Tim? Well, he says here, actually, let me read this. 
uh, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. The gospel is advanced. His ambition, his godly ambition is advanced in two ways. First of all, he says, I have been able to be a witness to the palace guards and to others. Paul had a Roman soldier chained to his wrist 24 hours a day. You might, now, now Paul was considered the captive, but to a preacher, uh, that is, uh, you know, that guard was a captive audience, if you know what I mean. Probably some of them, you know, after their shift, they said, man, I'm glad to get away from that guy. He's, all he's doing is preaching at me. But Paul saw it as a positive. Keep in mind, he's in prison for preaching the gospel. He didn't cry, woe is me. He didn't say, Lord, this, is this the way you reward your servants? He said, there's an opportunity to advance the gospel, to have my godly ambition realized. He said, he's been a witness to the palace guards. I shared with you a couple weeks ago how my wife, in the midst of her uh, extreme difficulty, almost losing her life and her foot, and, and being in the hospital uh, in, in, in Illinois, she got to lead a, a, a young nurse to the Lord. In, in, in that hospital room. I, I, I know I shared a couple weeks ago, but she came in and said, what's, what's, that, what, what's that that I smell? And you know, my wife feared the worst, you know. And she said, what perfume are you wearing? She said, I'm not wearing perfume. She said, I sense some sweet smell here. And my wife was able to lead her to the Lord. In the midst of a terrible circumstance, the gospel was advanced. Man, if we only had that kind of mentality. And I'm, I'm preaching to myself as well. We, we, we're more woe is me. Paul was, I'm in a negative circumstance, but how can the gospel be advanced? It advances despite difficulties. And a second positive was that it provided encouragement, Paul says, for fellow believers. He said, my being in chains and, and sharing the gospel has encouraged other believers to speak the word of God more boldly. You see, Paul's ambition was that Christ would be glorified, and that ambition cannot be thwarted by negative circumstances. How many have ever heard of a woman named Johnny Erickson Tata? When she was a teenager at a lake, she dove off a rock into the water, not knowing that there was a big rock close to the surface under the water where she dived. She hit her head and instantly became paralyzed from the neck down. She was a young Christian girl. From the neck down, a quadriplegic. Most people in that circumstance would say, my life is over, or I wish it was over. But many of you have, have, have experienced what God has done in and through her. She has become a marvelous... Uh, she's she's middle-aged. I don't know how old she is now, but she's become a marvelous witness for Christ. And she draws beautiful portraits with a brush in her teeth. And you should see them. You should look them up online. They're absolutely beautiful. And she has shared her testimony, how God has been faithful to her. Why? Because her ambition was not to be comfortable in life. It's uh, that Christ would be exalted in her life. 
negative circumstances far from thwarting the fulfillment of the believer's ambition to glorify Christ will actually serve to bring it about. Negative circumstances thwart our ambition only if our ambition is to have a trouble-free life. If your ambition and my ambition in life is to be comfortable, is to have everything in life be smooth, is to never experience negative circumstances, is to never have to deal with problems and, and, and uh, life-size challenges, then uh, that ambition is going to be thwarted rather quickly. Amen? Because that stuff comes. Stuff happens. Amen? It's called life. But if our ambition is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what the circumstances, you may be going through something very difficult right now. You may be facing a problem on a mountain that's too big for you. And I understand we're human and we have human emotions and we shed tears and we wonder sometimes, why does this happen to me? I get it. That's a human reaction. But I want to encourage you as a, a follower of Jesus Christ to lift up your eyes and say, Lord, what do you want to do in this situation? How can I glorify you? How can I bring you glory in the midst of these difficult circumstances? The only time circumstances get the best of us is when we lose sight of our ambition to exalt Jesus Christ. Let us determine with Paul, therefore, that Christ will be exalted in my body. When we have a godly ambition, it isn't, it cannot be thwarted by circumstances. Amen? What's the second thing we learn about a godly ambition? We learn this, it doesn't depend on other people. <laughs> it doesn't depend on other people. Look at verse number 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Paul, while in prison, mentions two others who preach two other types of people, two categories of people who preach the gospel. And he said some of them do it with impure motives. They preach, first of all, out of envy. As I said, Paul became well known. And, and, and so there were people who, uh, there, were, there were other preachers of the gospel who were envious. They preached out of rivalry, he says. They preached out of selfish ambition. That's a terrible thing in the body of Christ, isn't it? You know, we used to go to, we'd go to ministers' conferences and one of the first questions someone would ask, how many are you running? You know, in other words, how many people do you have? Well, I've experienced, well, uh, gee, I'm sorry it's not going too well for you, but I want you to know I've experienced explosive growth. Well, God bless you. There ought not to be uh, envy and rivalry and selfish ambition in the body of Christ, but how many know it exists? And Paul says, so, so I, I recognize, and, 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 and some of them are, are preaching insincerely. They're actually trying to cause trouble for Paul, as if Paul doesn't have enough trouble, right? 
So he says, I recognize there are some who, who are preaching the gospel, but not out of the best motives. You know, that 2,000 years, that hasn't changed. That exists today. But he said, I know there are others who preach with pure motives. They preach out of goodwill. They preach out of love. They, they, they pre preach with the knowledge that, Paul, that I, Paul, have been put here in prison uh, for the defense of the gospel. So he says there, there are pe people preaching with two kinds of motives, impure and pure. So one might expect him to condemn the ones who preach with impure motives and, and you know, uh, commend the ones who preach with positive motives. That that, that 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 was his point. But he goes on and he says in verse number 18, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of that, I rejoice. Paul said it doesn't matter what, what people do as far as affects me, Paul is saying. It doesn't matter if they preach with impure motives or some preach with pure motives. He said, I rejoice that Christ is being preached. Yeah, but Paul, but those, those ones with impure motives and the envy and the right... You're rejoicing that they're preaching Christ? Yes. Yes. How could Paul say that? How, he, he, he should lash out against those preachers. But he doesn't. In essence, he's saying, hey, their motives are between them and God. If Christ is being preached, and Christ is being exalted, and Christ is being glorified... I rejoice in that. Paul said, my godly ambition doesn't depend on other people. When I was a young minister, my first um, ministry position out of Bible college, I was a youth pastor here in Northern Virginia. And uh, it was a challenging, challenging time. It was, it was a good time. It was a good start. Um, but after about 14 months, I got fired. Did you know that your pastor was once fired from a ministry position? It's true. And, uh, you know, I was young. I made mistakes. I didn't feel like I deserved to be fired. As a matter of fact, the, the, the congregation was uh, pretty upset, many of them, at the pastor. And within a year, he was gone. Um, but I was fired. My wife and I were newlyweds. Uh, the, 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 the house we lived in belonged to the church, so not only was, was I fired, but we were out of a place to live. And we had to, we, we moved in with my mother-in-law for, for several months. We had no place to live, newlyweds. Uh, I had to get work. I got, a work. I got a job as a laborer on a construction crew. Okay? Me with my college degree. And the laborer is the low man on the totem pole. You have the foreman, you have the, 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 the carpenters, you know, the skilled, uh, you know, and then the assistants of the carpenters, and then the laborers, you know. I was the guy who said, go, bring that lumber over here, bring that over. No, not that, you dummy, you brought the wrong thing, bring that. I was that guy. Wasn't a great time. But you know what? Here I am, over 40 years later, and God has been good. My godly ambition is still intact. God gave me a wonderful uh, staff position. Several months after that, I was there for 10 years. 
And then we planted Harvest Church. Been here for 31 and a half years. And God has been good. Because circumstances, uh, because rather uh, other people can't derail your godly ambition. I think of Joseph in the Bible. Remember Joseph? His father's favorite. And uh, his brothers were jealous. And what did they do? They sold him into slavery. And he went into slavery and he became a trusted servant, but then he ended up in jail. And, and it, it just seemed like uh, everything was going off the rails for Joseph. But what did God do? God elevated him to the second in the kingdom. And God used him to save many lives and reunited it with him with his brothers whom he forgave. You see, your godly ambition, if it's to glorify Christ cannot be derailed. It doesn't depend on other people. And I get it. When things go wrong, we like to blame people. We like to find someone to blame. There will always be those with whom we don't get along. I hate to break that to you. That might be news to some of you. They say, well, I get along with everybody. Well, as far as you know. Truth of the matter is, we have no control over what other people do. I heard this statement one time, and it, it really, it was a simple statement, but it really, um, it, it really clarified things for me. There's a difference between someone hurting you and someone harming you. We equate the two as the same thing. Oh, someone hurt me, they hurt my feelings. Yeah, but they didn't harm you. You'll be okay. Put on your big boy pants, your big girl pants, and go on. Okay, you're okay. Sometimes that's the attitude we need, need to have. Jesus said in Luke 6, 23, Rejoice in that day, the time of suffering, time of persecution, and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. We need to remember God can be exalted in any believer's life, even the ones we don't get along with. You ever have someone that you, you just, they just rub you the wrong way? Don't look around the room. But uh, they rub you the, and, and you just, oh, I just don't get that person. And we're like oil and water. And then God uses them to do something. And you're like, what? Can God use them? Yeah, he can. And he will. Because as Paul understood, it's not about us. It's about Christ being glorified. When you and I are mistreated, we must ask God to be exalted in the midst of that mistreatment. Are you, are you having a hard time with someone? Has someone done you wrong? Has someone mistreated you? Remember, it's not about you. I know it hurts. I know it's tough. I know it sticks with us sometimes. But we need to say, Lord, receive glory. Lord, be glorified in my life. Even when others mistreat me, even when people do me dirty, Lord, be glorified. Because a godly ambition does not depend on other people. Amen? What's the third thing we learn from the scripture about godly ambition? It's this. It flows from a relationship with Christ. It flows from a relationship with Christ. In the latter part of verse 18, Paul says, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect 
and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Jesus Christ will overflow on account of me. Godly ambition flows from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And this relationship gave Paul four things. I want us to look at them for a few minutes. First of all, it gave him confidence. He said, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Paul had confidence. Years ago, Andre Crouch wrote a great song, I've Got Confidence. God is going to see me through. And we can have confidence in the Lord. Paul says, because of your prayers, how many know prayer makes a difference? You know, all during this ordeal in the month of July for my wife, so many people would tell us, we're praying for you. And I can't tell you how much of a difference that has made. I can't, I can't quantify it. And Paul says, through your prayers, I know God will bring me through. Paul's saying, God's got my back. God's got my back. You know when someone says to you, you're going through something, hey, don't worry, I've got your back. Man, that's a good feeling, isn't it? Well, how do you feel when the creator of the universe, the one who keeps uh, the earth uh, rotating around the sun, how do you feel when he says to you, I've got your back? Hallelujah. So Paul had a confidence because of his relationship with Jesus Christ, he had, a he had confidence that God had his back, that everything was going to turn out the way it should. And you, can, you and I can have confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. If, you, if you're going through something, the best thing you can do, and I know, and I, and I get this, some of us are very, very private, okay? And that's almost like a thing where I'm so private, I don't want to tell anybody anything. Sometimes you need to let your pride down and tell someone, hey, I've got a need, I've got a burden, I have a struggle, will you pray with me and for me? You hear me? We need to let our pride down, say pray for me. Why? Because prayer makes a difference and it will build confidence in us that God will bring us through. Secondly, we see that out of his relationship with Christ, Paul had courage. He said in our, in, our, in our theme verse, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. Even in the face of death, Paul ended up being released from this prison, but he didn't know that he would. And even in the face of death, Paul says, I want to have courage that I won't be ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know there are people in our world today, here and now, that are losing their lives if they fail to renounce Jesus Christ. Today, August 27th, 2023, there are people who are losing their lives because they refuse to renounce Jesus Christ. It's a matter of life and death. Paul says, I want that kind of courage. 
I want that kind of courage. Let me tell you, when Jesus Christ is first in your life and my life, when our ambition is to exalt him and to glorify him, he fills us with courage. He fills us with strength that we will not be ashamed of Jesus Christ. Church, let's not be ashamed of him. Listen, I get it. We live in a world that's increasingly hostile to, to the, the ways of God and to, to the, the, the values in Scripture, but we can't be ashamed. We can't turn back. We can't shrink back. We need to proclaim Jesus Christ. Amen? His relationship with Christ filled him with courage. Thirdly, his relationship with Christ gave meaning to his existence. I want you to look at verse number 21. For to me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul said, either way, I have Christ. If I live, I have a relationship with Christ. If I die, I have gain. That's, a, that's an accounting term. That's the interest. Paul says, if I die, I have the principal and the interest. Hallelujah. He said, for me to live is Christ, for me to die is gain. I get to go be with him. You see, it gave meaning to his existence. People wonder, what am I here for? Why, why do I exist? It's to bring glory to Jesus Christ, and it's all about Christ. It was Jesus in the morning, Jesus in the afternoon, Jesus at nighttime. It was all about Jesus for the Apostle Paul. And God is looking for people who say that my life is all about Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, if someone could silently observe you and me for 24 hours, or better yet, for seven days, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, if they could observe you and me, would they conclude that our life is all about Jesus? Or would they conclude that at best Jesus is on the periphery? He's a small part. What would they conclude if they followed us around? Paul said, my life's about Jesus. Jesus all the time, 24-7, 365 days a year. So for me to live is Christ. It's all about Christ. And if I die, I go to be with him. It gave meaning to his existence. And listen, that's what we're here to tell the world. You want meaning for your existence? It's found... No other place in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? What's the fourth thing his relationship with Christ gave him? It, it's a selflessness. A selflessness. Paul said, uh, if I'm going to go on living in this body, this will mean fruit for labor, fruitful labor for me, but I don't know what to choose. I'm torn between the two. Paul's saying, now it's up, it's up to God whether Paul lives or dies. Keep in mind, he's in prison. He's facing possible death. And so Paul says, you know, it's not up to me, but if it was up to me, I don't know what I'd choose. Because if I, if I reigned at living, I could go on ministering to you Philippians. Uh, he said, but if I die, I'm with Christ, which is far better. How many know that's better? You see those commercials that say this is as good as it gets? <laughs> I beg to differ. Up there is as good as it gets. And will ever get. Amen? So Paul says, you know, it's far better for me to go be with Christ. I'm not afraid of death. I'm not afraid of losing my life because I get to go be with Christ. There's nothing better than that. Paul said, but, you know, if it was up to me, I think I'd still, even though that's better, I think I'd still stay because I can do ministry. I can do more, minister more to you. 
That's a selflessness. It's all about Christ. And secondly, it's all about other people. What did Jesus say the two greatest commandments were? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said, and the second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. If, if my ambition is to exalt Christ, if Jesus Christ is the central component of my life, then I'm going to love people. Because God, God's heart beats for people. Amen? So Paul had a selflessness. So he had a confidence, a courage, he had meaning to his existence, and he had a selflessness. The great church father, Polycarp, was about to be burned at the stake for failing to renounce Christ. As they were preparing the, uh, to light the flame around him, he said this, Eighty and six years have I served Christ, and he has done me nothing but good. How then can I curse him, my Lord and Savior? Similarly, Ignatius, before being thrown to wild beasts because of his faith in Christ, said this, May the wild beasts be eager to rush upon me. If they be unwilling, I will compel them. Come crowds of wild beasts, come tearings and manglings, racking of bones and hacking of limbs, come cruel tortures of the devil, only let me attain unto Christ. Boy, that's, that's just so foreign from our mentality, isn't it? And uh, so, as we conclude this morning, we realize that Christ needs to be at the center of our lives. In the following verses, verses 27 through 30, Paul encourages the Philippians. He says, to live, quote, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So what's your ambition today? What are you hoping to achieve in life? Well, we asked the question at the beginning, what does the Word of God tell us about godly ambition? We said that first of all, it isn't thwarted by circumstances. You know, you know Lord, I want to bring you glory, but look at all that's happened to me. No, 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 no. In the midst of your trial, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your circumstance, glory can flow to Jesus Christ. We said, secondly, a godly ambition doesn't depend on other people. Well, God, you know, I, I, I want to serve you. I want to bring you glory, but man, so-and-so did this to me, and this person did me dirty, and so-and-so did me wrong, and, and I'm, I'm boxed in, and, 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 and people just have been terrible to me. The way I was raised and, and what, what my boss did to me and what my, uh, my best friend betrayed me. And, and uh, you know, I was in that church and I got hurt. I've talked to so many people. I've sat in my church office, had a number of people tell me, well, you know, I, I, I used to go to church. I was involved in ministry, but I got hurt and I got rejected. And it, it, it turned me off to to organize religion and the church, and I've been hurt. Listen, people will hurt you. People will mistreat you. They will betray you. They will do you dirty. But in the midst of that, Jesus Christ can be glorified if we have a godly ambition. It doesn't depend on other people. And thirdly, it flows from a relationship with Christ. For me to live as Christ, to die as gain. 
We need to look deep inside. Jesus, be at the center of my life. Jesus, my life needs to be all about you.